Welcome to Mount Olive First Pentecostal Holiness Church. Thank you for connecting with us. In just a moment, Pastor Jeff will be sharing an uplifting and encouraging message that we pray will inspire you in your walk with God. Our desire at MOFPHC is for you and your family to find hope in Jesus Christ so that He will transform your life. Thanks again for connecting with us. Please contact us if we can help you discover God's purpose for your life. Enjoy the message. Thank you again for being here on this Sunday, our celebration of Hope Service. We, we uh, as the Lord leads us, mixes the, mix these services in throughout the year because we know people need hope more than ever in the day and time that we live in now. People are walking around so hopeless. And there's ever been a time that we need hope, it's the day that we live in right now. I said, if there's ever been a time we need hope, it's today. And we're going to be celebrating the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ today. I received a beautiful gift last weekend, a book. I was quotes by Dr. Billy Graham. And something stood out. It's amazing how the Lord always shows up right on time. And I saw this in his book that he had written, the different quotes. And he made this statement years ago. And he said this, he says, The greatest psychological and spiritual and medical need that all people have in this world is the need for hope. Is the need for hope. We need our hope in Jesus Christ. And I know people have walked through the doors today. And I know people have walked through with different things that have them discouraged and feel defeated in life. or, Or just they feel like they're in despair. Like there's no hope. They just feel hopeless. Can I tell you that our world today is hungry for hope and people are desperate for hope, but the hope that you need is in Jesus Christ. It is in Jesus Christ. Listen, it's not in the things of this world because I've been there and done it. We reach out for these things that are in the world and we hope that they're going to satisfy our souls and we think that it's going to give us lasting hope. And can I tell you today that all the things that people grab for in the world around us that eventually those things that the world will offer you, they will vanish quickly and there is no hope in those things. Our hope is built on Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. He's our hope today. And I say that to give encouragement to anyone that has walked through the doors today, no matter what you're going through in your life, no matter what sin has done in your life, no matter what problems or troubles or trials or tribulations, no matter how discouraged you may feel today, I encourage you with good news. You've walked through the door, and I'm telling you, if you will call on the name Jesus and put your faith in Him, He is where we find lasting hope. And He can give you a hope that will overflow. Paul said these words here, He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I give you encouragement today, whoever you are, whether you're on campus or online, Paul tells us that you can overflow with hope today. And the reason why you can is because of His goodness, His faithfulness, His love, His mercy, His peace. You can overflow with hope today knowing that whatever battle or storm you're going through, that He is never going to abandon you. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He's going to be right there with you no matter what you're going through. And you can overflow with hope today. Because Jesus is still changing lives. And he's still saving people. And we're going to be celebrating that in just a few minutes through the baptism. Did you know in the month of August that we know of here, 22 people made decisions to follow Jesus Christ. We praise the Lord for that. We give God praise for that. And we're going to be baptizing 10 of them today and more in the month of November from that group there. But I want to just encourage you, friend, you can have hope today because God is alive. God is working. If you have somebody you love that's lost and you've been praying for them, don't give up on them. You keep praying for them because God is able. And we're going to celebrate today. And you're going to hear three powerful testimonies right now. You know, the Bible tells us that we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And we're getting ready to overcome the enemy right now. We're getting ready to celebrate the cross of Christ and the empty grave and the power of the Holy Spirit and we're going to celebrate and we're going to overcome the enemy by the word of testimony 
So I want you just to prepare your hearts right now to receive what God wants to do and encourage you. In this first testimony we have is a brother in Christ named Dean Holmes. And Dean and Donna Holmes have been attending this church for a long time and uh, many years and very much a blessing to this church and to our community and to my family. And he has such a powerful story of hope that's going to bring so much encouragement to you. So would you please make welcome now Dean Holmes. Good morning, everybody. Uh, somebody asked me this morning, was I ready to do this? And my response was, yes, uh, I'll get up there and cry for five minutes and pray for five minutes. That ought to do it. But um, anyway, let me uh, tell you a little bit about myself. My name's Dean Holmes. I was brought up in Duplin County back in the 1900s. I, I like to say that. I heard it this week, and I think it's so cool. Uh, I got so many uh, ways to, to thank Jesus for so much. First of all, I want to thank him for my mom and daddy. They're both gone on now. But, uh, in fact, my mama's graveside was up. A year ago today, I sure miss my mama. I really do. But anyway, let me begin with this, uh, if I may. Uh, 22 years ago, I was 41 years old. I had a, I went to work and I had a chest pain. Uh, you know, and anyway, I called my wife Donna, and uh, I told Donna that come and get me and take me to the hospital because something was not right and she said uh, you don't need to wait she said it'd take me 20-30 minutes to get there what I didn't know was the secretary had already called the paramedics and uh, they took me to Wayne Memorial and uh, in the emergency room they run all the tests the EKGs and all that stuff and Dr. Grant in the emergency room told me I, you know told me that I had had a heart attack, that the damage was at the bottom of my heart. And in fact, in fact, he said the bottom of my heart was dead. And uh, he said, we're going to be going to cardiac one. There's a lot going to be going on in there. He said, uh, we're going to give you some kind of drug, more commonly called clockbuster. And uh, so they proceeded to carry me to cardiac one. After being in there a while, I looked up and I seen, I seen Donna coming in, and uh, she walked there at the bed where I was. She put her hands on my hand, you know, and she told me she said, uh, "I just called Mama, and I gave Mama an update on what was going on." And she told Donna told me said, "Don't worry," I said, uh, "Mama." Elvin and Miss Joyce is out there, in, out there in the yard. They prayed for you. Said everything's going to be all right. So I knew it was. After that, my mother-in-law, she was a great woman. Anyway, uh, in 2012, I had a coronary artery bypass graft. In other words, that they called it cabbage. In other words, it was a uh, bypass, triple bypass. I got along great with that. I mean, uh, I probably got along better with that surgery than any surgery I ever had. Uh, last November, I went back in Rex again, and I had my left carotid artery cleaned out. They done it on Monday, and I went home on uh, Tuesday. Everything was good there. January of this year, I went to have the right side of the right carotid artery cleaned out. Something different happened happened then. Um, I knew something was wrong immediately when I, I just knew something was different because I was having to do a lot of stuff that I didn't do back in November. Uh, 
such things as sticking my tongue out, moving it to the left, moving it to the right. I thought I was doing everything good, but apparently I won't. Um, the surgeon told me what happened was that during the surgery, he cut the carotid artery, and when he cut the carotid artery, the I think he called it the varcus nerve uh, appeared, and he had to clamp it with the carotid artery, and the vargus nerve goes to your vocal cord. So, in other words, what had happened, my vocal cord was paralyzed. Uh, I could not talk. I couldn't uh, eat. I couldn't drink. I couldn't do anything, any of that stuff. Um, I thought I could talk pretty good, but nobody understood a word I was saying. Um, they put a feeding pump on me in a, probably two or three days, I guess. And that's one of the pumps where they go up your nose and down. I don't know where all they go at, but it's very uncomfortable to be put in. I remember that. Um, but, you know, it was so tough there. Them nights at the hospital and all, I cried, I prayed. I cried, prayed, nobody understood me but you know what Jesus understood every word I said hey y'all I would be singing the, the song Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so I mean you know I just knew that and I sung it and you know my wife was there and she did just like she did 22 years ago she took my hand she told me she said don't worry she said, there's a lot of people praying for you. And said, God will take care of this. He will. I kept thinking about also about a uh, sermon that I'd heard Pastor Jeff preach on. And it was, I'm pretty sure it was in Matthew, where they talk about having faith, a mustard seed, the size of a mustard seed or something like that. And... Uh, so I knew everything was going to be all right. I just had to keep the faith. So after about 10 days, well, actually eight days, I went home in 10 days. They, uh, they put a tube in my stomach. That was They knocked me out to do that. That wasn't a big deal. When they knock you out to do something, it ain't a big deal. <laughs> they knocked me out. When I woke up, this one was gone, and that one was in. And for... Two and a half months, I couldn't eat, I couldn't uh, drink, I couldn't swallow. The only thing I tasted was uh, toothpaste and mouthwash, and I had to spit that back out. I had, everywhere I went, I had to carry a pan with me because I couldn't swallow saliva. Um, it was just awful. Uh, I prayed, and I prayed, and... I'd wake up in the middle of the night. I couldn't sleep. It's, I probably, if I slept, I would just doze. I would never really sleep. But I'd go to the bathroom and saw another, and I'd be praying. And I could hear Donna, and they're praying. Uh, uh, Ann Letchworth brought me a, a prayer shawl blanket. And uh, I hugged that blanket. I still hug it, but I I hugged that blanket and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and uh, I even sung Jesus loves me some more after I got home. Uh, but uh, Lord does answer prayer and two and a half months later, it got to where I could um, I could eat a little bit and I could drink. What happened according to the, uh, I think the Lord done it. The good vocal cord overextended itself and compensate for the bad vocal cord that's still paralyzed. And um, anyway, at this time, I just want to thank everybody in this church. I love every one of you. I appreciate all the prayers, the support that I had during all this time. Uh, also, as a as I've told her before, and thank you for the chicken salad. I love chicken salad. 
and she told me that as soon as I got where I could eat, she'd make me some, and she did. There's this thing in the family. Uh, her mama, Aunt Joyce, made the best chicken sausage you'll ever eat in your life. And any time over the years that I've been sick or anything, or if she just made some, she'd always make extra and take it to me. And uh, uh, Ann made me some and took to me, and it was really good. On a personal note, I just want to say this, uh, Donna, I thank God that also for you that you've always been there for me and that you've been my wife for uh, almost 44 years, and I'm looking forward to another 44. Praise the Lord. Man, what a powerful testimony from Brother Dean on God's goodness and God's faithfulness. That ought to bring encouragement to all of us today. Well, we got a sister in Christ that is about to share her testimony with us. And man, you're going to be so encouraged by Crystal Grant, her and uh, Tim here today with their family, and just so grateful for how God has worked in her life. And uh, we want to make Crystal welcome at this time as she shares her testimony. Amen. morning I will probably cry and I cry ugly so feel free to join me Monday December 21st I had just hosted family on Saturday and friends on Sunday and I was currently being treated for a sinus infection I left work early needing to run errands but decided instead to go to the doctor before they closed to see if I needed something stronger the office tested me for COVID I waited in the exam room and I tried not to count the things I still had left to do. The doctor walks in and said, you tested positive for COVID. Merry Christmas. I would be in quarantine through the entire holiday. He told me to take an aspirin a day, drink plenty of fluids, and get a pulse oximeter. He said if my oxygen saturation dropped below 89, I needed to seek medical attention. I called my daughters, my work, family and friends from Saturday and Sunday, and I told them that I had tested positive. Then I prayed that they would all be safe from this virus. I went home and I told Tim he needed to be tested. I curled up on the couch and slept. Late that night, I woke up sick and went to the bathroom. The next thing I remember, I was laying face down with my cheek on something cool. I had passed out and was laying halfway in the shower. Tim went to the doctor the next day and he tested positive. I don't remember much after that, except that we called family and friends again, and I stayed on the couch. Our daughters brought food and Pedialyte, and they called from their cars telling us the food was under their carport. We were isolated from our children. Saturday, December 26th. I don't remember missing Christmas Day, or much, until this day. I was checking my oxygen saturation because I felt so odd. I don't remember the number, but it was somewhere in the 60s, I think. I rolled over on the couch and I told him, something's wrong. You need to take me to the emergency room. I called Catherine and told her to come pick up our dogs because I had no idea how long we'd be held up in the emergency room. Tim ran off the road twice, taking me to the hospital. That was the first time I realized he was sick. Catherine texted Pastor Jeff and he prayed with them. And he sent them Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with thee. We arrived at the emergency room, and I took charge. I told the security guard we both needed a wheelchair. I was about to collapse, and Tim was parking our car. That's the last time I saw Tim for several days. I told the nurse at check-in what my last OSAT reading had been. She immediately put me on nasal oxygen, their oximeter, and pushed me past triage straight to the exam room. That's the last solid memory I have for days. Catherine has a picture that I texted them that day signing, I love you. And that was the last they heard directly from me for a few days. I have foggy memories for the next few weeks. I remember desatting to extreme lows on two different times and screaming for be help best I could without oxygen because I couldn't find a call button. I remember seeing several faces of people I knew at the hospital, many of them that go to this church. But there was one particular face, Carrie, that had been a friend of Catherine's in high school, and she'd spent many days at my house 
And she saw me and she said, it's okay, Miss Crystal. We're going to take care of you. Carrie happened to be the supervisor of the COVID floor. God knew in her high school years that I would need her later. I remember a doctor asking me if my heart stopped, did I want it jump-started? And if I stopped breathing, did I want to be intubated? And I remember saying, my heart is right with God, but I don't want to die just yet. So yes, please, restart me. All I could think of was leaving my daughters behind and not seeing them enjoy what their future held. My family kept records of my hospital stay, and I had to ask them for memories and carry the nurse for help with my testimony today. While I was in my COVID fog, Tim was treated and released from the emergency room the morning of the 27th. He kept telling them he wasn't well enough to leave, but they made him leave, and he wasn't okay. December 30th, Catherine called the rescue to our house for Tim. From her phone conversations with him, she knew he was showing symptoms that were great concern. My sister Rhonda sent me the following from her notes. Catherine had just watched the rescue drive off with Tim, and she was scared to death. She texted me and asked, was I coming down tomorrow? And I replied, yes, do you need me? And Catherine replied, I'm going to let the sanitized people in mom and dad's around lunch tomorrow, and I'll be outside. If you could come and just let me have a real good cry. January 2nd, Tim is released from the hospital a second time. This time he's ready. A nurse brought him into my room before discharge, and when he wheeled in, we both cried. January 3rd, my sister tells me we FaceTime this day, that I don't remember it. While she was talking with me, Catherine was talking with my nurse, and I was maintaining 90% saturation. The nurse told Catherine that that was good since I was talking at the same time. Catherine texted my sister, I'm claiming complete healing for her. It's happening. Monday, January 4th, I had a setback. The doctors want me to send, want me to go to ICU and put me on a BiPAP. That's the machine prior to the ventilator. Everyone's upset and everyone's praying for me. My sister went face down on her floor and prayed for my life. She heard God say in audible words, it is done. She sent my girls a text with her daily scripture and devotion from that morning. God's timing is perfect. You may not see it. You may not understand it. But trust that he is working things out for your good. Ecclesiastes 3.11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. I heard the doctor tell Carrie to find me an ICU bed. And I gripped her arm and I said, I'm scared. I knew what that meant. She told me not to worry. Everything was going to be okay. She came back and told the doctor there were no open beds. And I remember thinking at the time, she's told a lie for me to keep me out of ICU. But then I thought, no, she's not going to risk her job for me. But it was God that kept me out of ICU. My sister shared that it was like the night Jesus was born and there was no room in the inn. God had another purpose for me. Catherine tells me it was the scariest day of all for her. She said I had called her. And I told her I was going to ICU and to start praying. She called Madison at work, and they and some co-workers started praying. I'm on 55 liters of oxygen at this time. Carrie said there were several discussions over the next few days about me going to ICU, and every time they discussed me, I would show signs of improvement. Catherine recently told me that she and Carrie also discussed they may possibly have to airlift me out of Wayne Memorial to another hospital somewhere, anywhere in North Carolina that had an open bed. But again, God knew where he wanted me. I decided to 30% on one occasion, but I recovered. They tell me 30% is so low, few will recover from it. Carrie tells me the staff on that floor still talk about my miraculous recovery. I do have one vivid memory from COVID floor. One evening, I was struggling to breathe, and I knew I could not survive long. Imagine a huge elephant's foot on your chest, and you can't breathe. I started repeating a line from a song, It's Your Breath in My Lungs, and I prayed for the Holy Spirit to fill my lungs and to breathe for me. I cried out to him, I can't survive this without your breath in my lungs. I felt the foot of my bed go down. 
So I opened my eyes to see who was sitting there, and there was no one there. Finally, after repeating that line over and over, it's your breath in my lungs, it's your breath in my lungs, finally my breathing eased and I felt safe. My eyes were closed again and I felt my bed lift up. I looked and again, there was no one. I know as sure as I'm standing here today that the Holy Spirit was with me on my bed and he truly went in my lungs and he breathed for me. Later, when I was looking up the words to that song, It's Your Breath in My Lungs, there's a line that says, You give life, you are love, you bring light in the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. It's around this time that a doctor tells my husband, I'm not a Christian, but whatever you and your family are doing in your faith, keep it up. Your wife has defied medical reason. Saturday, January 16th, I've had several ups and downs, but I was finally moved off the COVID floor, and Catherine and Madison were able to see me since the first time since December 20th. Catherine said it had felt like a lifetime. She's a mama's girl. Sunday, January 17th, I took a step back, and I was put on a non-rebreather mask and was moved to an intermediate care room. That's a step down from ICU. January 18th, I've been thinking about my daddy, and it's been almost a month since I last hugged him. When Tim came to visit me that day, I told him that as soon as I was discharged, I wanted to spend every morning with my daddy, drinking coffee and eating our breakfast before we started the day. While Tim's with me, he gets a call from Catherine for him to stay there. She, Madison, and both my sisters are on the way. I was laying there enjoying my visit when Tim, with Tim, when the door opens and in walks both of my daughters and both of my sisters. It's the first time I'd seen my younger sister since September. I actually count the visitors in my room, one, two, three, four, five, and I asked them, were we having a party? And that's when they came to me and told me that Rhonda had found our daddy dead of an apparent heart attack that afternoon. And they had gotten special permission from the hospital for us to all be together when they told me because they were worried the news would set me back. I could have fallen apart, and I could have given up, but I didn't. I did get quiet, and I worried my family that I was going into a deep depression. But I think I was just numb. I was numb with exhaustion and fear and deep sadness. I tell my family I don't want my Bible or my journal. I don't remember saying that, but they said I kept telling them no. And the enemy tried to use that to shame me and shame me into a defeat. While I was watching church online one Sunday, there was a speaker that told about Dr. Tunstall going through a similar phase during his COVID and how the Lord used scriptures that he had memorized to get him through. Well, the Lord used friends and family for me. I had shared with some people that I couldn't seem to focus my eyes on the print. Even if I put my glasses on, I couldn't read. Medea, Rhonda, and Catherine started texting me scriptures and quotes daily. Every scripture was fitting for that particular day, no matter what I was going through. And it was a God-sent word, and I was able to read every text. January 20th, I'm restless most nights now and can't sleep. Catherine Sullivan started texting me nightly and wishing me a good night rest and that she loved me. God knew my need again. And she still texts me almost every night. I started telling myself, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Every time I experienced a setback or discouragement. I can't remember all the words, but I knew Christ was my solid rock. Later when I looked up the words, I saw my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. February 6th. I had a day of confusion, and I kept asking the same questions over and over. I knew when I was asking them that they sounded stupid, but I just kept asking them. My family started to worry about my mental state, and I've said before, I think they were a little late in that worry. I'm on such high doses of steroids now, and I'm now diabetic and forming yeast infections over most of my body. Without being aware of it, I'm also refusing bird baths, brushing my hair, and brushing my teeth. I was now falling apart on the outside. 
I can't stand, I can't walk, and I can't fully control anything below my waist. I have numbness in my feet, and I can't lift my legs from the mattress. I was later told I may have critical illness myopathy and polyneuropathy, which is a weakness in limbs as a result of medication and immobility. Doctors say I may need a wheelchair and oxygen the rest of my life, and I may need extended care in a nursing facility. I could not imagine being disabled and separated from my family in a nursing home. I was put on anxiety medicines. Wayne Memorial has done all they can for me. February 22nd, I'm transported to Pam, post-acute medical in Rocky Mount. Transport pulls up to what appears to be a third world country outdated facility. Never let the outside tell you what the inside holds because the inside of the Pam facility was filled with the most caring and compassionate staff that filled my next three weeks with encouragement and smiles. They immediately started reducing the 20 pills a day I was taking. I'm now on about 12 liters of oxygen. Pam is more my respiratory therapy, but physical and occupational therapy do as much as they can in the few minutes daily that they have me. I have my Bible with me now, and I've started reading and making notes again, and I'm starting to feel like me again, and I'm eager to walk and go home. I am put on a lift daily that lifts me out of my bed and puts me in a recliner, and I beg for them to keep me in the chair all day, anything to go back, anything to keep from going back to that bed. During this time, I developed the motto, I'm better today than yesterday, but not as good as tomorrow. I was going to be healed, and I was going to walk again. I still have moments of depression. I remember watching a patient walk down the hall with a walker, and when my nurse came in, I was just crying uncontrollably. She finally got it out of me. I just want to walk and take myself to the bathroom. She assured me I would. At the end of three weeks, I was able to take about five steps. Steps to independence I had lost for almost 80 days. My dependency on oxygen is down to about three liters, but the doctors want me at two or below to transfer to Greenville for physical therapy. March 18th, I finally achieved the oxygen level to transport to Greenville for physical therapy. March 19th, Tim can't come until that evening with my clothes, and physical therapy is not going to wait. They dress me in paper scrubs, put my hands on a walker, and help me across the room and down the hall ten feet. I was exhausted, but I was thrilled because I was moving. For the next 11 days, I have physical and occupational therapy for three to four hours daily. My last obstacle is to climb three steps because it will take me climbing three steps to get into my house. And I realized this week there's three steps to get up on this stage. March 26th, I walk up three seven-inch steps assisted only by a handrail. I had climbed my Mount Everest. March 30th, Tim Grant walking through my door is the most beautiful sight because he's taking me home. I feel like Dorothy. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. Sunday, March 20, May 23rd, two months after discharge. My oxygen tube is starting to be a burden. I get it caught on the furniture. I'm a trip hazard for people in my house, and it's starting to pull on my ears and physically and emotionally pull me down. I try to go without it, but I'm struggling to keep my saturation above 88. Sunday, May 30th. I'm desperately wanting to be rid of my oxygen tube. I cry constantly when it's on my ears. The praise team is singing a song with the words, If you need healing, here's where you'll find it. Lay your burdens down and breathe in forgiveness. I take off my tube. I take a picture of it with the words of the song, and I send it to Medea. And I ask her to help me pray. Lord, if you will pick up my burden, I won't. It's been over three months, and God still carries that burden for me. I'm grateful for my amazing family, and I'm proud of everything they did to pull together as a unit to see all of us through that trial. I'm grateful for every prayer, card, text, visit, and call during my illness, my recovery, and still today. A friend from work told me she'd been worried for me. She feared not just because she was running the credit union without me, but more that I would never come back at all. Through all this illness, she saw an, an, an unwavering faith in God. And she said she sees the power is real and that my life is a testimony. I stand 
before you today, and I claim. Christ overcame victorious what the enemy meant for my defeat. I am off all medication except for one multivitamin and a daily inhaler. I am claiming 100% healing. I don't ask why me, I ask why not me. I know I am never too low that God can't bring me up, and I am never out of the Holy Spirit's reach for my help and comfort. I know I'm here for a purpose, and I'm saying, yes, Lord, give me the wisdom and strength to fulfill your purpose. I've seen repaired relationships and strengthened faith. If it's just the one unsaved doctor who realized our faith was more powerful than medical knowledge, then I'm grateful for that seed that was planted. The enemy tried to defeat me with illness, fear, loss of independence, and loss of physical strength, as well as the loss of the first man I ever loved. But the enemy was defeated in his efforts. On Christ the solid rock I stand. My hope is built on nothing less. We will see miracles, and you've already seen two this morning, Dean and Crystal powerful testimony so encouraged that no matter what setbacks we face in our life the unexpected events that can come our way the good news is that Jesus never changes he's so faithful and so good and he'll be there with you no matter what you're going through in your life and thank you for sharing that powerful testimony Crystal thank you Tim you get ready to hear one more testimony powerful testimony great brother in Christ, dear friend of mine Mitchell Swenson Mitchell has a powerful testimony of healing and deliverance and when he finishes sharing his testimony uh, we're going to sing a song when that song starts I want everyone that's going to be baptized today to go ahead and start getting in place so after Mitchell's testimony you hear the music start for those that are being baptized you go ahead and get in place and I want everybody to stay here and just celebrate with us today the life change that's going on in different people that we're going to be baptizing. So Mitchell, please come, sir, and and uh, share your heart and share your testimony. And uh, let's make Mitchell welcome this morning. My name is Mitchell Swanson, and uh, I was born in Duplin County. Uh, actually born in Botancus, the big town of Botancus, and then moved to Pine Forest and stayed for a good while. Uh, as a child, I grew up in a home that was not exactly filled with love. Uh, that's an understatement, but uh, I worked hard for everything that I had be- because that that's all I knew, and that's all that I had been shown. As a te- teenager, I gave to peer pressure and started experimenting with things that were not healthy for, any, for me or anyone else. That continued through most of my early adulthood. Around my mid-twenties, I got a great job and excelled up the ladder at work where I was very invested and passionate about what I did. I married my high school sweetheart, Daphne, and Dustin was born. I spent long days and nights at work, and when I would come home, I craved nothing more than a cold drink. In 1999, Madeline was born. Oh, my God. I love her so much. I love Dustin, too. Little did I know that only two weeks later, God would give me a second chance that I didn't didn't know I deserved. Uh, I had been feeling sick that week and uh, uh, didn't know what it was. Thought I had the heartburn. Didn't know I was 39 years old. You know, you you wouldn't think nothing else. Uh, I experienced a massive heart attack. I was in Wayne Memorial and I see you. It's a day I'll never never forget. I was there by myself and then uh. And it got late and everybody gone home. I was there by myself. and uh, the, the, It was on a Sunday night. The, the nurses and doctors gave me a clockbuster shot, just, uh, just like Dean, uh, Dean talked about. Unfortunately, when that, that happened, it moved the clock and blocked everything up, and I had a massive heart attack. Unfortunately, uh, while the medical team was trying to revive me, I could see everything that they were doing to me to try and help me. Uh, it's, 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 I can remember it just like it happened yesterday. I was floating over the bed watching them work on me. I can remember this vividly, and in, 
and it only it were yesterday. The next day the doctor asked me what could I remember and he told me that they had lost me. So I'm a thank you Jesus. Uh, you know, I'm a blessing for that. Uh, in 2001 I thought that I could make a better living for myself by becoming a self-employed carpenter. I was really good at that. Uh, things didn't happen the way that I thought that they would as I began to hang around some of the wrong people and I, be I began to experience with methamphetamine and in addition to that to my pre-existent pre alcoholism I was a bad alcoholic during this time I recall drinking 18 to 24 beers a day uh, sometime only to go back and get some more I was not easy to live with at home and, and would often keep my family up at night and rambled on with with my good times I thought good times little down of consequences was coming uh, them consequences is tough. I, I have a guy that talks about them all the time, and the consequences was coming. In 2002, my wife had had enough of my abusive behavior that ultimately was fueled by drugs and drinking. She took my son and daughter to a safer place, and it nearly killed me all over again. I continued to use drugs and drink heavily until November of 2003. At that time, my wife had been forced to having a restraining order placed against me. Uh, Dustin didn't want to see me, and Maddie all she knew was I was her daddy, and, and she loved me. Uh, but I understand why Dustin felt that way, some of the things he had seen. Uh, I was raised up in an abusive family, so I understood you know, what he had seen. Shortly after that, we went to court over our children's visitation rights and things the judge made it clear that I would not see our children again until I had a drug and alcohol screening and was clean the judge told me that I was doing everything else right being I had a job and a home but that the drugs and alcohol were keeping me from being the father that my kids deserve amen on the way home from the courthouse I was mad at the world I thought I had just been done wrong by everybody but actually, the only person that had done me wrong was myself. Uh, the devil had me right where he wanted me, and he was using me in every way. Uh, I bought two 20-ounce beers, which would be the last I ever bought. I got home and drank them. Shortly after that, God spoke to me. I had a spiritual awakening. He told me that drinking and drugs would be the only thing that could keep me from my kids. I did everything else right except that. So it was just drugs and alcohol. And at that time, it made such sense. Even though my 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 brain was just a fog. I, I had been doing this for two years pretty hard, and I, my brain was a fog. So it had to be God that told me that because I'm not that smart. Uh, I prayed that I prayed that God would would take it from me. I I prayed that God would take make alcohol and being high undesirable for me Pray, praying I got depressed I got uh, very isolated uh, but I was sober uh, staying in my bedroom not working uh, not drinking and not using drugs though. Uh, I had a neighbor and a good friend that that stuck with me through that. I had pretty much burned every bridge besides that. Uh, I'll never forget, after about two weeks of staying in that, that bedroom, isolated and crying and praying, that my neighbor reached out to me. Uh, he, would, he would come every day and check on me. Uh, I'd just leave the door unlocked. I'd be laying in bed, and he would go in, and he would look at me. He said, son, you're still in bed. I said, yeah, but I, I've not got my family. I don't want to live. He said... And he told me, I'll never forget what he told me. He told me, he said, son, if you think things are bad, you keep laying in this bed, and you're going to find out what is bad. So I, I took him as his word for that. Uh, then Christmas was coming up. It was getting close. Uh, that was the saddest time of my life. Christmas, Christmas was just terrible. My best friend came to see me. This was on Christmas Eve. Uh, he came to see me, and he knew that I was home alone and missing my family. We cried together. 
And he told me how sorry he was that I wasn't going to see my family. I begged, but I told him. I begged him. I told him, just go home, be with George. I'll, I'll be okay. It was a long night. Uh, and the next day, my neighbor did. He carried me to be with his family. So I did have, some, but uh, I didn't see my family. Um, my my family and friends invited me to attend church, and uh, at that time, uh, I accepted God into my life, which I already had there in my bedroom. Uh, I turned my life over to God there. But, you know, when I got into church, that's where I needed to be. I was there every Sunday, and I began to get discover Christ and was quite lonely and missed my family very much. Uh, and since then, I have made church part of my life. Uh, every Sunday, I'm not working. I'm here. Uh, uh, no matter if we go to the beach, I, I go to church there. Whatever, whatever I'm doing, I make church as part of my life now. And, and Jesus is... Uh, on January the 8th, 2004, uh, I got a brother that was a member of AA. I actually had two that was. And, uh, he, he told me he, he I'd been two other times, and, and he knew now that I was sober and that I was not drinking and I was not using, that it was time to get back in AA, which is a great organization. And uh, I attended an AA meeting with my brother that would mark my sobriety forever. I have since then made God and the church a priority in my life. I love this church. I love Pastor Jeff and, and Jeff right here. Oh, my God. <laughs> he, he was a big help to me. Uh, I, I owe him all the glory for my sobriety because I, I know that was him. He took the craving of alcohol and drugs from me. He took it from me. Uh, uh, my wife began to see the progress that I was making. I'm trying not to get all teary-eyed, but I already have. Uh, yeah, my wife began to see the progress that I was making, and we were talking. Uh, my, da my daughter would call me every day. She had a little phone. She was three years old, but they taught her how to dial, and she would call me every day and tell me how much she loves me. Uh, um, my, my children wanted to see me again and spend time with me. Uh, we would in turn become a family again, and soon after that, we moved. Back, they moved back home. That was a great moment in my life, and in my recovery. Uh, I got involved in uh, carrying AA in the prisons. Uh, I started at at six months, which is a little early, but I started. A guy, a good friend of mine, and they asked me to help with uh, carrying into a camp in Clinton. Uh, I did that for about six months, and then I got started into carrying uh, meetings into uh, Dark Cherry, and I also got involved in uh, news corrections. We carried a meeting in there. We even one Christmas we had a Christmas, uh, pizza party for them. That was awesome. And uh, I seen people in there that have come out and have got families and living responsible lives. That's an awesome accomplishment to watch. Uh, I have been sober for over 17 years. <laughs> and the relationship that I have with God, my wife, and my children is stronger than it, it, it has ever been. Uh, uh, if uh, My wife, Daphne, is just such a wonderful person, and she has been just such a uh, rock in my life. And... Uh, and my son, Dustin, is just so smart. He's just got a big promotion. He's had to be one of the smartest people I know. And my daughter has just uh, graduated from nursing, and I've been able to send her to the school. So I have been blessed to watch that and be part of their life. I could be on the street with nothing because I see it. And now I try to give back to them that are. Uh, I have been able to, to help... Uh, a lot of people, and uh, I've been able to, to be blessed to see that, just like Mr. Jeff did me. You break me up, brother. Okay. Uh, Esther, Supreme, we have y'all can join me if you like. Uh, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, and the courage to change the things that I can and the wisdom of the difference. 
Oh, have I said that prayer a million times. Uh, I'm so thankful for this wonderful church that I have and uh, for Jeff Dale and for Doug Bartlett and for where I came in this. It's just, it's just unreal. Uh, and thanks for letting me share. Praise the Lord. Would you stand with me, please? Thank you all so much for celebrating. And Father, we thank you. We thank you for the fruit, God, that we see here, Lord, through this ministry, this for your kingdom and for your glory. We thank you for every life that's been baptized today, God. It's just another testimony of transformation and salvation. We thank you, Lord, for everyone that's here to celebrate with us. May you bless everyone here. Encourage them, love on them. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, God, that these testimonies today have encouraged them to surrender their life to Jesus. Friend, you heard Andy say it. No, no matter how far you've run, Jesus will take you back. And so whatever is going on in your life today, no matter how far sin is taking you down, you can have restoration through Christ. You can be saved. You can have peace. And I pray that right now you would surrender everything to him. Call on the name Jesus and put your faith in him and turn from sin and turn to God. And we ask that to be done right now in every heart, every life. In Jesus' name we pray.